anyone who moves anything if you want to do it efficiently you need a map ride hailing is actually transportation on an application it's a new vertical that uber created but in reality again you're a taxi company you're transporting people from point a to point b so when you do that anyone moves from anywhere except for your individual customer driving or navigating on your own everybody requires map welcome to brave learn from southeast asia's best tech leaders build the future learn from our past and stay human in between No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Ao, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview change makers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over forty thousand members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. HD Mall is a healthcare marketplace in Southeast Asia, connecting patients to over 1,800 medical providers. This covers multiple categories such as dental, aesthetics, and elective surgeries. Over 300,000 patients have accessed more affordable healthcare via HD Mall. Get yourself a well-deserved health checkup. If you're in Thailand, go to hdmall.co.th. If you're in Indonesia, go to hdmall.id. Hey RJ, really excited to have you on the show. We had such a great time on the HubSpot and Brave podcast collaboration, and I wanted to have the opportunity to go deeper and share your story. RJ, could you share a little bit about yourself? Hey Jeremy, thanks for having me again. My name is RJ. I'm the co-founder of NextVillain.ai. So we're mapping it as a geospatial startup based out of Singapore. I've been in Singapore for almost now seven years. I used to work at Grab prior. Uh, and before that, I've done a bit of a world tour. I was in Tokyo with Indeed, and New York with Amex. Started in the UK for five years and spent five years at Google through California and India. So yeah, it's been a pretty exciting journey last ten, twelve years of career. And yeah, and you're excited to talk about next billion and whatever else we have to chat about today. Awesome. So how did you get started in technology? Yeah, so it was actually by stroke of luck. I graduated in recession two thousand eight nine. So eight was undergrad, nine was my post grad, and it so happened that there were just no jobs in banking or consulting or finance, and we applied only for that. In fact, I studied my master's in consulting, hoping that engineering and then consulting analytical background would get me into actually one of the big four. But then what happened was there were zero jobs. There was jobs in UK or even in India. So came back home after almost. For five years in UK, and, and then realized very quickly that even India was sort of reeling from the recession effects. Only people hiring were a little bit of backend services technology. It just so happened that I just got into it, so there was no other jobs at that point. And so happens that Google was growing that time, and Google just was doing a lot of hiring in the same home office. And so, so other lucky part was that Google was in Hyderabad, which is my hometown. So I just turned up for an interview, and uh, it so happened that I got through. There was no intention of getting through. There was no intention of I actually wanting to move into the. Sales world or tech world at all. Then one thing led to another, and it just so happened. It's just pure luck by chance. Amazing. Could you share a little bit more about how was your experience at Grab and how you got there? So a Grab was a even more interesting luck by chance story, right? I realized there's a lot of luck involved in this life and in this world. So I actually was in New York, pretty happy in Amex, and everything was fine. But then my partner and now wife, she couldn't get her immigration status in US after her studies. So she was working, everything was fine. Then it so happened that we couldn't get through at the H1 lottery. 
So we had no choice. We had to either, because we were about to get married. So we just moved back home. As I was moving back to India, I started looking for jobs and somebody I respected a lot in my prior life, he joined this company called Grab in Bangalore. I actually wanted to join India. So I applied for a role and it just so happened that they saw my mapping background at Google. That's like five years ago almost. And they said, listen, we're trying to fix maps. You're trying to do that. And for me, maps has been inherent passion and I have always loved it. It's a fantastic product. And even at Google, it was a fantastic product. So I just was like, okay, listen, I'm getting to do something that I actually love after a long time. They, but they said, you have to move to Singapore. I said, oh, I don't want to move to Singapore. I want to do it in India, ideally. But they said, no, you need to be in headquarters. So I was also very lucky because that was a pet project of Anthony and Ling at that point. So we were literally working with them directly. We had a small little unit of our own. It was me, my co-founders now, who were there at the same time. The three of us were doing the same job there. And yeah, it was just an incredible journey. I think we saw the company grow from a billion to $14 billion in valuation, uh, bought Uber out. It was a very exhilarating time, I would say. You know, business to consumer technology, if you're in the right place, right time, it's unprecedented growth that you see. So I was very fortunate, lucky, again, same thing, right? Turned up at the right place at the right time. And it was a great run. Three and a half years there, traveled all of Asia, set up teams across Asia, seven languages, 300 people. It was good. It was good for Amazing. And interestingly, because one of the biggest challenges for ride hailing globally was really getting from point A to point B, but nobody knows where point A exactly is, let alone point Correct. B. And that was a big problem in the US in the early days. I remember the Ubers would get lost because they're on the wrong side yeah. of the building or you know, different They still get lost, by the way. Still not solved. And Southeast yeah. Asia must have been another order of magnitude, right? So yes. could you share a little bit more about what was it like experiencing and tackling the mapping challenge at Grab? It was crazy it's because see everything on ride hailing especially runs on a map because you need to know exactly where you are you're expected a like level of service that i turn on my phone and the cab magically appears at my footstep not doorstep also so there were these consumer expectation challenges and uber had a mind-blowing product over the last six eight years i still think it's a mind-blowing product it's one of the best companies ever to come out of the silicon valley it has revolutionized something that we never even envisioned and all this ran on a map and, you know, maps were never really mainstream till Uber came. People used to think like, hey, if I'm driving, I'll use a map. Others, why the hell would I need a map, right? And it so happened that Uber put it in everyone's hands, all of a sudden in the palms of the, the phone. And with Asia, what was happening is that, see, it's same thing, right? Like Google's an American company and their focus is on the Western world where the revenue potential is larger. Even India is not good. Google even now sucks in India and maps. So it so happens that Southeast Asia was like 100 priority, right? Even in Southeast Asia, maybe Singapore was was good, but you, you go to Jakarta, Medan, Makassar, Surabaya, Bandung, Bali, horrible. Like go to Ho Chi Minh City or Bangkok, even a capital with 25 million people like visit every year. It's bad. You don't have addressing systems that are standardized. You don't have roads that are standardized. I will call it a, a sidewalk. Somebody calls it a footpath. There's 500 things in digitizing the physical world. And so all these challenges were there. So, so we took it step by step. So we understood that... Uh, data-driven decision-making at that point to understand, hey, where's my most bang for the buck? What do I fix? I fix places where, like, my rides are highest. We used to go to the most popular things like Vivo City here, Changi Airport, Jalan Sudariman, or you go to Sukhumvit area in Bangkok. You see where the bank for the buck is. You solve the 80% and the rest 20 is long tail. You cannot solve. So we were very realistic when we were trying to solve the mapping challenge. We're not going to try and map Southeast Asia. We're not a mapping company. But that was a hypothesis at that point. And then we were fixing where our riders can get better service, where the drivers can get better at picking up and efficiency. It was actually a step-by-step process over the three years. We had fixed almost for grab use case. We didn't need to go to Google. We didn't need to go to anyone else. We had our own stack. We had our own technology. We used open source, crowdsourcing. We used our own data. We had heavy machine learning models, suggesting pickups, suggesting drop-offs. So 
everything you see today was built over the three and a half year base that we had set up over there. So yeah, it was uh, very interesting, very challenging because every place is very different. Every culture is very different. So, yeah, that's how we went about solving the problem. So let's talk and drive into how a team works to solve it. Because let's just say what you said is the pickup point is wrong, right? So the, the mm-hmm. intersection is unclear on a map and so pickups on a wrong location. How would a product manager, an engineer, the user, what would the flow of action be to resolve something like that? Yeah, there's also a lot of operations involved in all of this. So we call it assistant intelligence, not artificial. We use AI to let's say, determine that every time there's a wrong pickup or a drop-off. I tell you very simple things. What we should do, we should calculate wait, walk, and talk. Wait is how long is the person waiting. If they've called a taxi, are they able to click pickup? You know, the sort of difference what you measure. Like from you getting a taxi to you getting into the taxi. You do wait, then you do walk. Are the people walking? It means that is there a way that after we get a ride, this sort of GPS is again moving? Are they standing or are they moving? How much are they moving? How much are they walking? How far is the pickup point versus fidelity of the point there to that? Then you do talk. Has they have they called or messaged? Are there n number of messages? So you analyze all this data first. You understand? And then you analyze where is this happening the most? Because these are the worst sort of rides you can do. And you set up thresholds on a product manager to understand. Listen, if my wait time is over three minutes, it's bad. So every ride that comes where wait time is more than three minutes, like why don't I bring it to like my attention? Then we have an operations team on the back end that is sort of reviewing this data manually. And even in this, reviewing the worst cases like manually. And many a times we realize very small fixes. Let's say in Changi Airport, we understood people are trying to get a taxi and they didn't know where to go. So we broke Changi Airport into 40, 50 pickup points. And we named every pickup point to say door 18, basement 2, terminal 2. So we built something called entrances as a feature. So as a product manager, you are then envisioning that these are three metrics I'm tackling towards. These are the feature I want to build. This is the operations team I have. These are the areas I want to solve for. And you're at the end of it, you are going to measure your success on have my wait times reduced, have my walk times reduced, has my talk time reduced. And it just shows that the feature works, right? I mean, literally by just creating a feature of entrances and using the ops team to actually name these entrances, if required, go physically once to just like verify everything. And then you come back and put it in the app of the user, you will suddenly see cancellation Changi dropping by 40%. It's because people are able to get taxis very efficiently. This is sort of impact you have when, you know, sort of front-facing product role where you are moving company metrics. You're not moving your actual product metric. All this didn't translate to less weight, walk, talk. All this needed to lesser cancellation. All this translated to letter FTA. Like FTA meaning effective first-time allocation. Only because the, the location is good, you're able to allocate the ride better. You know where the other driver is. You know where the people are. You're able to allocate a driver better. And you're moving profitability at the end of it because all of the network is more used and all the network is more efficient. You're actually hitting bottom line. So this is the level of impact generally mapping and sort of location technology, especially for ride hailing or especially for food, especially for logistics, like can have. So it's just not about how a PM envisions the problem. It's just not about how you do metrics. It's not about how you build a hypothesis A-B testing. It is actually about how you hit the bottom line. So this is how we thought about problem solving at Grab. So what's interesting is that you mentioned that Grab decided in-house that technology stack, right? And I think there's an interesting debate where multiple companies are deciding in-house because they don't want to use Google Maps. Some of them are partnering with Google Maps. Could you share a little bit more about what that calculus is for a company is to whether in-house it or to partner and outsource it? I, according to me, you should never in-house it. But you have to have some stack in-house because it's very critical for your operation. It's like the nerve center for like ride hailing maps, right? So you definitely need to have some part of it in-house. Most of it you should almost outsourced. Uber hired a thousand member team almost for maps and now literally has let go everyone. But Lyft didn't follow Uber. So what Lyft did was hire a much smaller team and just solve the problems that they should solve for their business. You have to understand you're not a mapping company. So you don't need three people to do it. But Didi Metawan have 500 people already doing maps. So we literally, like we got mentored by Didi when we were at Grab. 
and we understood that this how to solve it but in hindsight would I have hired as large a team at that point it was so bad that you needed to hire but I think as of today if I was in a ride hailing company as a leader of product or leader of technology I'll say let's outsource most pieces of this and keep the critical pieces inside and it's because the more amount of headcount I have in my company it's more troublesome for me it's more headache it's more management I will outsource all the key bits I will keep the core data scientists engineering inside and the rest I will keep it outside so I think this is where companies should understand that actually what are you to build up you are a taxi company at the end of it right however much you want to call yourself a technology company you make money by doing taxi rides so same thing with uber same thing with any of the ride-hailing companies globally is that at some point when there's so much money available you want to invest in more cooler sexier technology and mapping and nothing gets cooler and sexier than mapping trust me it is so difficult as a problem it is so exhilarating to solve it all these companies went off on this thing let's hire let's build a team inside they post everyone from apple and google i did all of this stuff so i think in hindsight i am wiser but at that point, everyone did what is right for their business. What's fascinating, of course, is that you have decided to build a team and company tackling this mapping challenge. Could you share a little bit more about mm-hmm. why you decided to build a new company? So there were a few things. As we you know, graduated in our own job, so three, three and a half years, we understood as we were going to conferences, talking to people from other companies, we were anyway mentoring them. We were sort of, from learners, we became more sort of mentors to understand because we had evolved very quickly in our jobs and our roles and understanding of the space and especially how to solve it. So then we saw there was only one company in the world still doing it and everyone's literally tied down to them. And we realized that, hey, listen, maybe it's not a bad idea. We, see, we still are at a maybe phase. Even after all the capital raise, we have 100 customers. We're still at a very maybe phase that is it a real business or is it a part of a bigger business? Still figuring it out on our own. But that point, it felt right. I still feel it's right. There is a literal monopoly globally. There is really, the open data has really taken over. I think open data will take over even more in the next decade. So we formed a thesis saying that if we can do it inside and help us save millions of dollars every year, is there a way we can do the same for other people outside? Is there a way we can build a whole stack for enterprise only? Like it's not like repurposing a consumer technology stack, but actually an enterprise stack. That's state of the art. So we thought of it like this. And two, we were sort of peeking out in our own roles. There was not, we were early 30s, we had reached a decent pinnacle and the achievement next was not like so exciting. What do we do? One more promotion? Is it like, yeah, is that what we do? And if we don't start now, we don't start ever because already getting older. So all of these soft factors combined with some hard factors, understanding, we never did time analysis. We never did anything. I'll be frank. That's also because we were in the bull market. For, we didn't even know what a bull market was at that point. So it just so happened that we had a very stellar team who knew what we were doing. We had the chops to solve this problem. And again, we were just lucky. We went for a pitch and the first VC we pitched to, we never went to even one more VC. We just went to one VC. We spoke to one VC. Actually, other VCs approached us after they got to know that we had a term sheet and they said they wanted. Till then, we didn't even know what a term sheet was, what a competing term sheet was, what venture capital fundraising was, what terms are. We knew nothing. All of us used to work for 10, 12 years. And it just so happened that we thought it was the right time to do it three years ago. Uh, three and a half years ago and now almost four and we just got straight into it we didn't think much what's interesting of course is that you're building out mapping as a a service for various companies what kind of companies need it obviously you you said that the large right-handed companies have already not only done it but they solved it for themselves and they fired their teams but what are the kind of verticals or approaches that need mapping from your perspective Anyone who moves anything, if you want to do it efficiently, you need a map. Even today, many large companies use Excel and VBA solvers to just do basic routing. They don't understand how to use equation technology to power like logistics as an example. Same thing happens with trucking and even ride hailing is such a large vertical. There's ride hailing for kids, ride hailing for non-emergency medical transport, transportation use cases. So ride hailing is actually transportation on an application. It's a new vertical that Uber created. But in reality, again, same thing. You're a taxi company, you're transporting people from point A to point B. So when you do that, anyone moves from anywhere, 
except for your individual customer driving or you're navigating on your own everybody requires mapping so we have formed a thesis internally to say if you want to move anything efficiently pizza parcel people anything more efficiently as a business you need mapping or you have to do it on excel right. there's no other choice in between right give a list of orders and say go fulfill it it doesn't work like that as of today as everyone's moving to cloud as everyone's moving to a more intelligent stack everyone's digitally transforming i think location infrastructure that's sort of what we build so we are infra product on the back end right we build a very basic infrastructure to do distance calculation directions routing this infra will pick up is what we think that's how we have formed the company the products how we are the stack the stack is very easy to use it like lego blocks like either build the whole model or just build half a model it doesn't matter you can still use some blocks in doing it this is how we envisioned it so what's interesting is that you first built it for yourself at grab obviously in terms of internal stack and now you're building it as a service from a external as a service a lot of folks want to build that api or that tool what are some dynamics in designing that product to be usable and meshes well with somebody else's internal tech stack so it's a few things you can't build this technology just with two engineers inside that's the big moat we have you need to understand the know how you have to understand how it is used in a business context like versus the consumer context you have to understand how the architecture works for very large calls because you need to be having experience in system and like you know design of cloud systems to even take the sort of load that you will bring in you have to understand how these mapping functions work and what are these products that tie in the solution together not just one api so all of these are ip slash our own know how and brains that we've had over the last decade in this space so when you say an internal team versus external team i don't think anybody can dream of building a distance or a directions or a routing api just like that with a few people they know yes they're going to start with two people and the rabbit hole is so deep that you think you just keep going down so this is what we tell other companies well why should you use us it's, it's largely because this is what we do for a living we are way cheaper like we are way more customizable because we don't own any data stack of our own we own any data stream can integrate into our system and last but not the least that it's a pure if it's a if it's a build versus buy do you really want to build a mapping team inside are you really a mapping company you're not a mapping company you're a logistics company like you're making money by transporting let's say like medicines from point A to point B you focus on how to maintain your asset and how to make sure drivers are on time i will make sure that i give you the most efficient route to do this like property so you it hits your bottom line that's not a pitch we make to many companies and the good part we're seeing in our own 3 year evolution of the company so many companies that are not doing anything in maps are coming back to us in 3 years saying hey now we've realized we've digitally transformed we're first in aws first in azure first in gcp we have a cloud stack now now we need mapping right as of today we didn't even have a cloud stack we were all on like excel so yeah like we're seeing the industry evolve and i think by the time we are ripe in a year or two it will evolve a lot more what are some challenges of selling to that because you know a team when they're trying to decide between build versus buy obviously everyone's very gung-ho like we can build this you know yes. really doing this basic version let's scale yeah. that out so how do you get to that purchase point or that conversation to be like this is the time for us to come in no in fact we like companies who build on their own it's easy to convince them so <laughs> to do a cold start is very tough for us so actually actually many of our companies already have somebody trying to solve this problem and then they say oh my god this is then they realize they have a eureka moment like most of us will have in our careers that this is not we need external help for this right? we cannot build this in house we need to hire a lot that the headcounts don't get approved the finances don't come through too many things happen within a company for you have this eureka moment and in fact we ourselves step in our qualification stages when we talk to companies we ask them two key questions you know when is the timeline that you want to purchase this one is it research based are you just researching or you know you have to solve this one have you tried solving it inside already have you tried 
too. And third, we also ask them at times that, hey, listen, are you evaluating our competitors? Because if you're not doing it, you're not the right qualification set currently because you're very far away from making a purchase. So what we've done currently as we've evolved is that only companies that understand these three questions, we are actively going and selling. And many of the companies don't know it. We tell them to go start with Google. We say, hey, why don't you go start? You use it, you scale it, and you see the bills. And then you come back, right? You understand the problem. Instead of us, instead of you coming to us like a startup pack and then we giving a lot of handholding, we want to focus on customers who are larger at scale to understand and where we can really add value. But I don't think we can add value at a very small scale. We are very clear. At a very small scale, you can use us. It's fine. But there won't be any much difference between our stack and that available, easy to use stack. But once you reach scale, then you will find a substantial difference in our technology versus anyone else. What's interesting is that somebody who's a common person might be like, hey, Google Maps, Apple Maps, they already have AWS. They all have some level solutions. Like, why aren't they good enough from your perspective? So they don't have only Google as solutions for enterprises here. Maps is just like, you know, like one or two more. They were all built two decades back. The infrastructure rather. Right? It's not that the map data is being built two decades back. But the infra to consume this data, then the power routing on top. I'll give a simple example. Is that if you want to close off five roads for one company in Google, you can't do it. Those five roads probably are very critical for the trucking customer to close that they don't enter the roads at all or they don't route through them. But you can't do this in a centralized stack. Because it's all centralized at one point. Everyone uses the same map. Me, you, company, enterprise, two-wheeler, four-wheeler, six-wheeler, eight-wheeler, like 16-wheeler. All of us are using the same stack. And that doesn't work like that. Because as the enterprise evolves, as companies are evolving, as people are getting digitally transformed, you cannot be using the same old stack that you're using two decades back one. Yes, you have the freshest map data. Yes, you have a lot of live traffic. Yes, you have a lot of Android probes. Yes, fair, right? But are you going to customize that for each and every company without going and coding every time? It's impossible. Two, you cannot just break out and like a mammoth of a whale or elephant and have it in one piece. It has to be very piecemeal, like routine. And those piecemeals are what we're building now. So we are saying, hey, listen, this whole stack is great, but it's not useful for every enterprise in the world. Every enterprise sort of requires their own sort of stack where they can custom map, they can custom route, they can custom edit. Everything has to be decentralized. Right. So you log into a portal, you have your own mapping stack, you have your own routing stack, you can make edits on your own. If today there's a festival in Austria and you're running trucks there, you should be able to shut off all those roads in Austria. Same way, if you have the same company, if just you're a Molar Musk or you're like, let's say, a DP world, you're also in Dubai, you're also in Singapore, that shouldn't affect that stack. Or it should be three separate sort of edits and mapping for three separate cities in the world. This is where we have envisioned a stack like that and it is slowly taking shape you know like these things take some time I mean initially people say what are you building I don't get it as you said there's so many other things then when they see the value that yeah I can actually start a service where if a government puts the restrictions that my e-scooter is not allowed to be there I can block off all the roads where the government says they're not allowed I don't have to manually go and do anything at all it's all in a system now I can manage restrictions at a road level I don't have to route hazmat equipment through residential areas by mistake and get fined there's so many of these use cases when you talk to businesses that you understand this is where I think we're truly making a difference. Could you share about how you go to market? Is it a function of sales, <laughs> marketing, case studies, customer education? How do you go about it? So we are still evolving. We still haven't truly figured out how to GTM. But yes, we have few insights and intent-based signals as what we would call it. We're trying to measure a lot more than we did last year. Like last year, we were just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. But this year, we have used more intelligent tools like factors, understanding hot jar stuff, understanding cookie level, you know, who's visiting us, what's going on, who are the intention-based, which page are they going to, where are they spending time. Then we take the companies and then we do account-based marketing as GTM currently for enterprise. So say, listen, hey, I see that you guys have skimmed through something. You've seen my journey. 
you've seen my page is this something you're looking for currently probing right that's one way we have one third of our ad spend i'm going to write some article about it very soon on how we literally took down spends of 40k a month on like google ads to like 4 5k now to 8k and yet have not dropped any volumes at all in lead generation just purely using seo and techniques that are more search engine friendly rather than going in ad spendly we we will continue to spend on ads but it's a very interesting approach what we've taken this time for gtm to understand the listen let's fully zero spend if i was a company that i was not venture funded i had zero money i need to start a software business what do i do today so we took first principles approach over the last 6 months and you're seeing results now after a lot of experimenting so we have a content based gtm also is it more technical content versus non technical content what's exciting people we do a lot of ab testing on our landing pages understand who's clicking what who's doing what and then we do a lot of inbound now purely zero cost that's some various of at least demand generation after that as i said we have qualification criteria where we ask based on the size and use case we do that third we have a very competitive pricing stack so we don't mention pricing for a reason on the website because we saw it was detrimental to us rather than actually being useful so now we have a little bit more opaque pricing but very business case driven pricing and last but not the least like we make sure that we understand the business rather than trying to just sell something because i think this is like cloud it's like a long term relationship once you start you don't usually stop like you don't usually churn like Like our churn has been very low. It's a single-digit percentages. Even the baseline has gone to double digits now, like like almost triple digits number of customers. Still, it remains like two, three, four, five people churn, and they're very small. So we understand it's a very long term. And many times, one of our customers starts with one product and they buy five. So all of these are GTM things we're understanding now. But this is the whole funnel that we do. Now, what's interesting is that you mentioned about pricing, right? And I think there's sure. often a challenge where people put pricing, and then for a lot of enterprise, there's a decision whether you take off pricing and make it like a contact us to find pricing. What? How do you think? about that because it sounds like your thinking has evolved over time. Yeah, so we had a self-serve full use case before you could put your credit card and start. Even today you can put your credit card into the account but it has to be only when you speak to somebody because we understood like a lot of these guys were coming and using us for one month and going away or it's a research project or it's a very one single developer just doing some sort of work, right? The and the ACVs to do this were like $20 a month, $5 a month, $8 a month. It was hitting our projections first, right? Like you don't know as a new business what this person is going to use consumption based billing. So that was one issue we didn't want because as a venture funded company you need to be able to forecast everything a little better It's because we were all of like we were all over the place in terms of numbers we'll assume a company will use at least $1000 a month as an example and they would use $200 a whole year so from 12200 is a massive delta so if you're projecting that you'll be at like a 4 million arr all that you're doing is you're like 2 million arr so all of these are like numbers trust Yeah, to build. So first reason why we removed it because we didn't want a self serve flow. That's one. We became a subscription based pricing company in June. We said, listen, use it or don't use it. You have to pay as minimum of two hundred a month, right? And that's going to become five hundred next year at some point or this year mid, where we want only customers who are serious who want to come use us, not people who are just playing around. And third is that it's evolved a little bit also because we have built enterprise products. The initial products were not enterprise friendly. It was very very actually for mid market and SMB. But right now our our route optimizer is flying through the roof because enterprises don't want to spend six months integrating a heavyweight solution to the routing company so they are not a routing company they are a logistics company so they want a very simple api call to say listen i have a manifest i have 20 orders how to allocate them what is the route simple i want to give it to my driver so our apis are so good that way that it's helping a lot to do it so these are the four or five things that we have done over the last few months that have helped us in terms of as to why the thinking has evolved and we're seeing our acvs grow our revenues grow our paid customer base grow our forecasting get better so these are all ripple effects on the company amazing now what's interesting is that you mentioned about forecasting revenue right which is i think a big challenge especially when you bull market bear market valuation expectations all these different things how should a saas company think about adding budgeting for the next year and kind of like cost correcting along the way so i think at least for us 
we are early stage still like according to me we are in single digit millions and you know like growing maybe double triple that's where we are so i think for us early stages the most important thing is to understand and try to play with more pricing models is it consumption based is it seed based is it like trip based ride based you figure it out okay whatever rocks your boat asset based so it's very critical to experiment with a few pricing models see what sticks see what sticks for what use case and what company unfortunately for companies like us that are more horizontal it's not like i know a vertical like retail really well that i can speak the language and do everything and price for retail we are getting there but like we move pizzas we also move older people we also move trucks we also move bikes so each one has its own model so i think for you as a early stage saas company it's very critical to understand what is it that is rocking your boat one internally and rocking your customers boat externally so try to play with a few pricing models initially some will fail like miserably some you understand shit i have undersold very badly like these people are using a lot more than i expected some you'll think that oh i okay, care these people are paying me 10 grand a month and not using me that also happens right so you have all these type of things in a saas company a most critical thing is that by year or two of experimentation you have to understand what is sticking and to always be conservative in forecasts like the biggest lesson i have learned in a bull or a bear market or if you want to build a real company and not a flaff or a sort of vc funded sort of only vc funded company and at some point if you want to become profitable you have to understand that it's extremely critical to build a sustainable business like this to understand where is it that i can price my thing at a very good premium versus where should i discount get your forecast initially very conservative if you think somebody is going to spend 10k just make it 5k it's okay if they spend 10k unless they're on a fixed contract to say listen i will pay you 10 grand a month this is the invoicing cycle only fixed contracts you fix the price everything else assume 50% discount okay so that you yourself are setting expectations for yourself your sales team the board across that hey listen i am not a super high growth company that's going to grow like 8x 7x every year i want to build a sustainable company i want to build a company that gets profitable within 5th year or 6th year right that's sort of expectations you set so that's very critical i think what has happened to saas is i didn't even know what saas was i'll be frank before i started up i didn't know what gtm was i didn't know any of this i don't know what nrr churn i didn't know any of these things but now that i'm looking at things i'm looking at best in class guys in public who put out all their numbers it's very critical from a very early stage you understand these metrics building a potentially ipoable company in 6 years two i don't think people have this very wrong expectations that i can go build suddenly take a lot of money and this thing and when it comes crashing down it comes crashing down like this currently so in a way we are very happy this has happened the crash because i would have been one of them where i'm forecasting 12k like 15k 17k for a $200 account and then just goes for a toss right in the fifth year so i think this is a very critical when you're you know projecting when you're thinking when you're forecasting and on that note could you share about a time that you personally have been brave i mean actually yeah, many times but personally brave means i got i actually got fired from google in 2016 and literally uh, sort of late 20s and you know really not much to do and it was so funny that i was in the final stages of my green card actually and then somebody told me why don't you mail the republican governor of california and you tell them that listen your financial difficulties you got laid off and you want to get your green card sooner i was like okay fine what's the worst that can happen so i mailed the governor of california at that point and say listen that this is shit you know whatever has happened is very unfair i i've been in the company for 5 years and somebody who was in the company for 5 months fine yes there are some mistakes i made but nothing firing worthy and they actually got my green card in 2 weeks i mean the governor replied to me i mean i have to give it to the country that they were actually replying to a guy who was almost statusless and who was in the final stages and I I think just being brave at that point to say listen i will do that email it doesn't matter i have nothing to lose and the governor actually replied the office replied they sent my case to alaska i got everything done in two weeks so feb 1st wow. i got laid off feb 14th i had my green card so 
I have to give to that. Then that I also have to give to that. that I listen to somebody utterly random. Like somebody told me they read a, a Reddit blog that this can happen. What are the odds? What are the chances? Right. So I mean, this is just one of those very funny incidents. And they were so nice that like after I got my green card, they they actually wrote me a handwritten letter, which I still save even today to say, listen, you thanks for taking our services. You know, I hope it helped. And I'm like, man, this is incredible. Yes, of course it helped. So yeah, that's a, that's been a very funnily brave story, I would say. That's a really interesting part, right? Because you mentioned that you were scared to write that email, right, in the first place. And, but there was nothing yeah. to lose because you're already at the end, yeah. right? You know? Could you yeah. share a little bit more about why it was scary to write that letter from your perspective? I mean, see, we were young, 26, really not so confident in life in general. You don't know how the big bad world works. Five years at Google is very tough, by the way, trust me, because you're so cocooned, you're so taken care of, so pampered, you don't know anything else outside. So you've not seen the big bad world at all. So I just think there was all of these mix of emotions at that point that you're angry, you're scared, and you just think, hey, why should I do this? Like, I mean, if you think I'm going to really look like an idiot, are they going to throw me out? Because I'm actually going to write to the government saying, listen, I got laid off. I'm in the final stages. They may just say, listen, you don't need to leave today, right? I'm not going to give you because you lost your job. You're on L1A. And on L1A, we don't want to process people because your own company has fired you. All of these practical thoughts plus emotional thoughts sort of derail you at some point. But then again, as I was young, I didn't care. Probably now I would care five times to write to somebody in the government. That point, you're just saying, you know what? Screw it. I'll go home if nothing, right? Like, What's the worst case? I'll throw me out of US. It's fine. So, it just so happened that you get the cut set. You just wake up one fine day and write that email. Amazing. On that note, I'd love to kind of summarize the three big takeaways I got from this conversation. First of all, thank you so much for sharing about what it was like to build a mapping function within the company or Grab. I thought it was fascinating for you to describe not only the technical challenges, but also the internal actions and workflows needed to actually resolve that across the product manager, the engineer, and the operations team. Secondly, thank you so much for sharing about the buy versus build decision for many companies and how they had to hire many folks for the mapping team and eventually fired them. And so it was interesting to hear why you decided to build your own company to be able to be that buy, you know, service as a service for them to be able to purchase and install. So thank you for a lot of the knowledge around the go-to-market, your customer education, as well as the technical challenges needed to build it out. Lastly, thank you so much for sharing about your own personal bravery. I think it was fascinating to hear about your immigration challenges that has happened to so many folks in the US and in Singapore and Southeast Asia. And I thought it was yeah. fascinating to hear about how you just said, hey, let's give it a shot. And you did an yeah. email. And I think it was an amazing story of bravery. And I think it's a good life lesson for many of us because, you know, like you said, what's the worst that can happen, right? Yeah. They just ignore it. Exactly. Yeah. On that note, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. I know this has been long pending. I know I'm so happy we did it finally and looking forward to seeing you in Singapore again. Awesome. Thank you. And terima kasih saya selalu mendengarkan Brave. Um, jika anda menikmati episode ini, harap bagikan podcast ini dengan teman dan rekan anda. Kami juga mengharapkan jika anda meninggalkan peringkat atau ulasan. Emen menuju ke webot bravesi.com untuk konten anggota, sumber daya dan komunitas. Hmm. Uh, Sesedap sehat dan berani. Hmm.